and welcome to Etc. Etc. I'm your host, Aug Stone. The weirdest thing happened to me this morning, man. Now, I've long felt conflicted over hearing good music in supermarkets. I once walked into a Whole Foods in Nashville in 2016 and almost had an existential breakdown because they were playing The Replacements. I mean, on the one hand, it's always nice to be hearing good music, you know. But on the other, it just seems incongruous because, I mean, this wasn't the case for my entire life up until that point. But today, I walked into another Whole Foods and Smells Like Teen Spirit was playing. I mean, this is completely unacceptable. And nothing about that song is suitable for the act of grocery shopping. It put me in a great state of unease, and like I raced through the store quicker than I ever have, and I like to linger, you know? And then as like as I was barreling toward the exit doors, Snow's Informer, a licky boom boom down, you know? It, that came on the speakers, I mean, which lent an air of like the surreal to the whole thing. I mean, despite the fact that I'm continually dumbstruck, we're still hearing this in the 21st century. I mean, Informer does seem more in line with what we expect from the radio programming at supermarkets. I mean, by the time I got back to my car, I was so shaken up that I resolved that if I ever hear the misfits coming through a chain store speaker, it's time to form my own political party to right these insane wrongs. And I'm calmed down about it now, but at the time it was terrible. So let's see, there's a new Young Southpaw story up at the Young Southpaw Part of an Hour podcast, which I'll be playing a clip from in a minute. It's episode number 57. And with that many episodes, plus the other Southpaw stories floating around, all I can say is, in your face, Heinz! There's also my William Blake story, talking about what if Blake had been in Duran Duran and other bands, you know. And that's up on Mikey Georgeson's Virtual Visions website virtualvisions.weebly.com. Scroll down a little bit to the Great British Blake Off. And here's that clip from episode 57 of the Young Southpaw Part of an Hour. It's called Uncle Swam Wants You. Synchronized swimming, you know? Whew. Not for the faint of heart. I mean, sink? Very first syllable right there. It's like shooting yourself in the foot. You'd sink even quicker doing that, you know? Are guns even allowed in competitive swimming? Or at public swimming pools? For practice, you know? I mean, a good thing to have, you know, if you encounter a shark, I guess. How many sharks are roaming unawares in public swimming pools? I mean, let's discard the evidence of Jaws 3 for a moment. That very well may not have been a documentary, as far as I'm aware. But like, since it's synchronized, I mean, that implies there's at least two of you. So like, do you shoot the other's foot? So you both sink in unison? I mean, this seems dangerous, you know? 
Like if you miss your partner's toes, bullets can go flying off into the audience. Like a more lethal hockey puck. Heck, what if it even kills one of the judges? And you've just given the performance of your very life. What are you going to do there? Well, I guess the team would have to kill two judges from the same exact angle to give this any semblance of being the intention of the performer's act. You know, that they should be awarded more points for execute. Gotta be a better word. So precisely, though, you know? I mean, I guess it's implied, but I mean, who's to say the shooting of the phrase shooting yourself in the foot, has to even mean a firearm. I mean, people use other things to shoot with, you know? Like shooting the breeze. I mean, that's just talking. I mean, a duo each talking to their feet is not what I imagine the riveting display spectators of synchronized swimming are paying good money to see. Unless it's like in the ocean, you know, outdoors where there's more of a breeze. And then you got that whole shark problem again. And people shoot bows and arrows too. Again, probably a bit problematic for synchronized swimming or, you know, any largely aquatic events. Having to move the arrow through the medium of water. I mean, there's a reason why Cupid has wings and not flippers and a tail. But like in Roman mythology, how did that play out? Like when Neptune heard Van Halen were getting back together, would he really not even have thought of giving Cupid a call? Especially when he knows they're opening it up with light up the sky. Cupid's milieu. If you want to hear more of that, and believe me, there's more. We haven't even gotten to the bit about the elephants yet. You can find it at the Young Southpaw Part of an Hour, which is at all the podcast places and at youngsouthpaw.com. Today's guest is Ben Sidoff from The Lodger, who are back after a decade with a new album, Cul de Sac of Love. I got into The Lodger back in 2008 when their second album, Life is Sweet, came out. The good old days, man. One of my favorite songs of that year and one that still gets stuck in my head. Ben and I talked for over an hour and it's always a good conversation when it's relevant to tell someone that Pete Burns from Dead or Alive did a great piano ballad version of Different Drum. So let's get to it. All right. We're here today with Ben Sidall from The Lodger. Yes. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thank you very much. Yeah. How are you, are you doing okay? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks. Yeah. It's a nice day well, here. Yeah. It's, it's just been snowing here, actually, but it's it's a bit of an erratic day. It's kind of like the sun's out, but it keeps suddenly snowing for a bit and then stopping again. It's very strange. That's crazy. I mean, it doesn't snow a lot in England anyway in, in April. Not really, no. It, but, it, you know, we're getting crazy kind of jumps in temperature all the time these days. It's a bit weird. Ooh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, hopefully it won't snow too much. Isn't that a Prince song? <laughs> Snow and Could be. Uh, yeah. so my first question is always yeah. do you remember when you fell in love with music in the first place um 
Oh, God, it's a good question, that. I know I was very young. I, I, I sort of, my musical identity was formed really young, I think, compared to quite a few other people. Like, I, I well, I had an uncle, my, my mum's brother, um, used to babysit for me when I was about seven or eight years old. And he used to bring round his, his LPs, like Talking Heads, and he had all, he was, he was kind of, I think he was about 14 when punk started or something. So he was like the ideal age for all that sort of new wave and punk stuff. So he, he had all these singles, like um, he had all the jam singles and clash singles, buscocks and everything like that. And he had loads of LPs. And I don't know, I, I, there's something about flicking through them and reading the information about them really caught my imagination. I'm not really sure what it was about, but and listen, I enjoyed... You know, I heard all the all the things that I love now. I probably heard when I was about eight or something for the first time, and I, and I got into it. So I remember I, I bought the Queen Is Dead album. I was about nine or ten or something like that. Oh, right. <laughs> off my own back. You know, I just I just knew that I wanted it or whatever, and I went to said, "Can I?" Can I said to my mum, "Can I? Can I get this album, please?" Things like that. So it was it started from an early age, but I think it was yeah, it's my uncle's influence. I think, and also around the same time, I remember stopping my dad's car and saying, can we please just go and buy a guitar? I really want a guitar. And it came out of nowhere. And I sort of, he didn't, he, my parents, we weren't very well off. So I didn't get, you know, I didn't get everything I wanted all the time. But for some reason, I must have pestered so much that my dad gave in and got me a little classical guitar. It was only about 20, 20 pounds or something like that. And I became obsessed with that as well. So yeah, I just took to it very quick and very intensely from a young age. I'm not really sure why and how. So it was like a nylon string classical? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I learned, I didn't learn classical music on it. I just learned chords. And I mean, my dad, my dad knew a few chords like, you know, A minor and C and G or something like that. And I learned those. And then I started trying to write songs straight away as well. I'd written, um, by, by the time I was about 12, I'd written a lot of songs, just really silly little songs. But I, I was very into just, I had a little tape recorder, you know, because I'm a child of the 80s, I presume like yourself. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> so I was I had a little one of those sort of front-loading tape recorders with a speaker on it, sort of like a kind of oblong-shaped thing. And I used to press record on that and just record myself and sort of I'd make little sleeves for the for the cassette as well, and you know, my name on there and like an album title and a little drawing or whatever. Oh, nice. So yeah, I was a bit of a geek from an early age of all that stuff. So it's sort of I've carried it through my adult life as well. <laughs> was there a moment you realized this is what I want to do with my life? I think, well, I think, I think basically I've avoided anything else. I've, I've avoided all other work. So I've kind of, you know, I went to college and did music just because I like music. And then I did, I did a degree in music actually as well, just to kind of, to avoid getting a real job, but in being involved with music still. And then, I did actually try a real job a few times. It didn't really work out for me very well, but I, I've now made my living from from teaching loads of different things, like guitar, piano, and ukulele, and all sorts of other stuff. So I've sort of, I've got, it, I've I've made a living out of it somehow, but it's not really been a conscious effort to be honest. It's just been a, a reluctance to do anything else. Nice, you know, nice. an avoidance tactic of any other real thing. Do you remember any of those early songs? Um, yeah, I don't titles? really. I'm a, I'm a bit embarrassed about it, to be honest, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to play any of them, but I, I'm sort of strangely proud of it in a way as well, because it's a bit of a weird thing for a child to do, but I, you know, it's, 
it probably I really didn't know anybody else. I think I was that guy at school that was into music and I tried to get my friends into it and um and that. So yeah, I was a bit of a loner because I was I didn't have many contemporaries that also liked music when they were 10 or whatever as well. So um but yeah, I don't know. I mean the song I've got a feeling they probably sound like the fall or something like that, but it's just in kind of a weird ramblings of a strange child. I don't know. Nice. God knows. Um, I've got the cassettes at my mum's. My mum's got a cassette somewhere. So one day I'll have a listen to them again. I might digitise them or something, but I haven't heard them in years, actually. Um, I've got a video as well of me playing guitar when I was about nine or something, like a home video nice. that's very strange as well. I'm sort of playing some of my own songs on there and taking it all very, very seriously as well. Like I'm, I'm very serious in the video. I'm not, I'm not kind of messing about and being a kid. I'm sort of thinking this is my this is my proper music video this is um, you know <laughs> so do you remember any of the titles um do I remember any of the titles no I don't actually okay. <laughs> I can't remember I can't remember I'll, I'll have a bit of a think during this interview see if I can think of anything I can't think of anything at the moment all right so the lodger is back after yes. a hiatus of a decade Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Our last album came out in 2010. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So uh, tell me about the hiatus and, you know, why you yeah. come back. To- yeah. It's weird. I I suppose most bands, I think, and most songwriters and stuff get to this point where they've done a couple of albums and it's sort of, they've sort of done what they were, what they set out to do. And you feel like you, you're going to tread water again if you just keep doing it, you're just doing the same thing. I just thought, I don't really, I mean, in a, in a weird way, I wish I'd have just done two albums, a bit like um, like Faulty Towers for some reason, I think of as two, two series of that programme, perfect. I always have that little idea in my head that you should sort of just do really good stuff and then sort of disappear. But it's when, it, when you actually get into reality, it's, it sometimes doesn't work out like that. So, yeah, I think I, I basically I stopped it because I felt like I'd dried out of ideas really, I suppose, and... I was also maybe thinking I need to really sort out my real life a little bit here because I'm, you know, I, I as you probably know, you, as you're a creative person as well, aren't you? So you know that you don't, it's very difficult to make a full-time living out of this nonsense, isn't it? <laughs> so um, we, I thought, right, I need to, need to sort myself out here. So I think I did a bit of sorting out my own, my personal situation a bit. Um, I, but to be honest with you, I did loads of music in the interim. I, I was... Um, I was in a band. Well, I did this other project called The Birthday Kiss. I don't know if you spotted that on any of the things. That I've... Yeah, I know that name. Yeah, it that was. Um, it's named after a Jilted John song, actually. You know, you know Graham Fellows, that comedian guy who did um, John Shuttleworth. Have you heard of that? He, he did like a character in the seventies. It was like a kind of punk singer. And he had the song goes, "Gordon is a moron." Gordon is a oh, moron. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, that was the guy who did that. Um, he did a he did an album as that character. Um, it's called True Love Stories, the album, and it's a song off that album, The Birthday Kiss. I just stole the title from one of his songs, but that was basically I was in a I was in a relationship with with a with a girl called Sarah who was in another band called The Research. I don't know if you've ever heard that name before. They were a British British band of the sort of mid two thousands. Anyway, we did this side project together where she was the singer and I was the sort of songwriter guy. 
And that's what I did straight after the lodger. We did a few songs. We did a, we did a Christmas song actually that, that that was quite I was quite proud of because I got to put all in put all those like Christmas cliches into a song like you know sleigh bells and stuff like that and tried to make a good Christmas pop hit and thing. And that was all right. Um, and then we did a, we did one single, one seven inch single. And then that sort of petered out. Um, I'll try to tell the story a bit quicker. But there's so much that happened in that period, but I became a bit of a producer as well. I recorded loads of ba- local bands. I had a little, um, as you can see behind me, I've got like speakers set up. And everything. This is where I recorded. This is like a spare bedroom in my house. So I recorded most of this of the Lodger album, the new one in this room, and I mixed it all myself here. Um, but I, yeah, I got really into recording production. And I, re- I recorded loads of local bands. Um, probably mostly too obscure for most listeners of this to know about, but there was a band called This Many Boyfriends that did okay. The, 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 have you heard of them? Yeah. 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 Um, they, I was in them for a bit actually as well, so I was playing guitar with them a little bit. Um, they recorded with me, um, and their album, their proper album, was recorded at Edwin Collins's studio. Nice. Um, so, yeah, they were they, they did pretty decent um we got to like do things like radio one sessions and all sorts of things like that with that band that were quite good um so yeah i just did all that stuff and sorted my life out really and then it got to a point where it was actually before covid and everything it was that covid was not like i want to be able to say oh i had this mad kind of like creative like enlightenment enlightenment in this lockdown thing but that didn't really happen it was more um it, we'd sort of decided already before COVID happened that we were going to make a new album, I think, because I, I realised I had about 40 songs on old hard drives and stuff that, were, that I'd never recorded properly. I just thought, well, there's no point having them on old hard drives. I might as well just try to record them. So we got together in the beginning of 2020 and recorded some... We whittled it down to 15 songs from these 40 and then we recorded the rhythm tracks. Then COVID happened and I just finished it all off here on my own. Because most of it is, is my stuff anyway, really, because there's Joe on bass and Bruce on drums, but all of the other instruments are played by me and all of the vocals are me and all the production's me as well. So it's kind of, I can do most of it on my own, really. But I but Bruce is a really good drummer and I couldn't possibly come up with the things that he does. And I couldn't come up with what Joe does either. So I sort of need those. I also need creative kind of, collaboration a bit because I think if I get I go a bit up my own ass a bit too much if I'm on my completely on my own you know what I mean so I, I think mean. I need other people to bounce ideas off and stuff so yeah that's that's how it came about just a need to sort of get these songs out there that I'd recorded that were gathering dust digital dust so <laughs> yeah you mentioned Edwin Collins I imagine you get compared to him quite a bit and actually yeah, look, yeah. are you a yeah, fan that- uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, to be honest with you, I, I mean, I liked him. I liked to go like you, and I think I liked his sort of nineties solo stuff when when I was a teenager and when it was around. And I liked "Rip It Up." I always knew that song. Um, I don't think I've discovered the actual, you know, the, the the real sort of early Orange Juice postcard records and all that stuff. I didn't discover that maybe until I was a bit older. But yeah, I mean. I think the guitar playing is an influence. I think that people hear hear that and and because I think that it probably comes more from the wedding present. I think and Billy Bragg and things like that. I think my guitar style is a bit more influenced by them. But I think that they, well, particularly wedding present, they covered Orange Juice, didn't they? Felicity. 
So I think that they were probably feeding off that influence. So I maybe came via the wedding present into Orange Juice, and Orange Juice is sort of ripping off now Rogers as well, weren't they, in that sort of guitar style. So yeah, it's like a lineage of stuff, isn't it? The uh, the disco yeah. guitars and indie pop sort of, you know. Yeah, for some reason. Sort of, <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I It's funny. I some you know I said I'm a music teacher as well, and I, I always teach. I'm obviously into that sort of thing, and I teach people funk guitar quite a lot, and they, it, people find it so hard to do. I, I've forgotten that because I've got so into doing it. But I think it's quite hard to replicate, really. Like, I think of my songs as being quite easy to play, so they're not the sort of indie pop jangly things. They're not exactly like um, Joe Satriani or something, you know, like some crazy heavy metal sort of fusion guitarist or something. But they are, it is quite difficult to play guitar like that, I think. It's, it takes a bit of... Uh, it's very idiosyncratic, isn't it? It's not something everybody does. It just it, Some people do do that style and get away with it. But, yeah. I don't know where I'm going with that conversation, but you get what I mean, kind of, don't you? Yeah, I don't know. It requires <laughs> precision, you know, a sense of timing. Yeah, sense of timing. And, and, and all those people like Sheik and stuff, they're absolutely amazing musicians, you know, the, the bass lines unbelievably good, and the, and the guitar work, and but they're, they're never they're never in a in a show off way, are they? I, I don't like music that's kind of I like complicated music, but not muso music. If you get what I don't like, kind of being complex and wildly complicated for the sake of it. I just I like sort of simplicity, songwriting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah. I hope that's answered your question. I can't really remember the beginning of the question now. We were talking about <laughs> Edwin Collins. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Edwin Collins is, is obviously very influential and great songwriter. Uh, I've seen him, I saw him live a couple of times after his, his, his uh, is it brain, brain hemorrhage that he had? I've seen him, like, recently, like, and he's really, really good, but he kind of gets, he gets his stick, you know, his walking stick, he sort of flails it around his head like he's, like, like a guitar, like he's kind of smashing it up, smashing up his equipment kind of thing. It's quite cool with his, with his, the way that he is, and, and yeah, there we go. I, I remember like seeing you guys do, um, I Can't Help Myself, there's, like, a tribute at, t- at uh, The Social. I knew that, all right, yeah, I forgot about that. Um, yeah, um, yeah, we did that. We only did that once ever. I think we just learnt it for that for that particular gig. The the woman that put that on was someone who sang on one of our songs. Actually, she's called Laura. She sang on um, on the first album. There's a song called "Getting Special," and on the first Lodger album, and it's, she sings backing vocals on that. That's how that's how I knew her. And she put that night on, and we just. I thought let's do a song that's a little bit more. I don't know about in America, it might have been a bit of a hit, but in this country, it was, it was a f- complete flop, that song, I think. It was like the follow-up to Rip It Up, but it didn't, didn't even make the top 40. So mm. I tried to find a bit more of a poppy one that was a bit more, but less well-known, I think, for that one. Yeah, that's, that's weird. Did you, did you live in London at that point? I lived in London, yeah, for about 10 years. And like, oh, all right, fair Yeah, I was going yeah, to lots cool. of gigs. I saw you guys quite a few times. All right, cool. The good old days was... Yeah, it was a fantastic tune from 2008. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, that one. That one's got still kind of um, has legs. I think people still really like that song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's nice to know. Um, another postcard records connection. I want to ask you: Are you a Go Betweens fan? 
Yes, very much so, yeah. I've run yeah. a huge go-between's kick lately. So. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I really like them. Um, I think they're another band that are sort of interesting. Sort of, they never really, really quite made it, did they? Even though they're, they're very... There's very strong sort of pop sensibilities in their in their stuff, but it's just not it's just not quite I don't know, it just doesn't quite fit properly, does it? In in I don't know, there's something about them that doesn't fit. There's something very awkward about it. Like the way that they look and everything. If I was I'm a member of a, a go-between's Facebook group. I don't know if you're on there as well as like a <laughs> yeah, and he I've I've only been a member of it for a few weeks actually. I keep seeing these pictures of them, it just I saw a picture of them the other day, like maybe a mid eighties one. I just, I showed it to Joe, the bass player. He's a massive fan as well. So this band are just the most sort of uncool band of all time. Like, you know, they look completely dip, like incongruous, don't they? They look like a four completely different characters mm. sort of put together. And, but yeah, I just like that because I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not into sort of, well, I suppose I'm into manufactured pop sometimes when it's done well, but I'm not into sort of uniformly sort of beautiful bands or whatever. I think so that that weirdness about them it adds to the appeal. Is what I'm trying to say. Yes, and yeah, I mean, I've been watching the documentaries, and um, they were just very unappreciated at the time. I mean, people have come yeah. to really respect those records lately, but you know. yeah, there's lots of bands like that. I think that I am drawn to it a little bit as well, like the. I suppose the, the left bank are a bit like that, aren't they? In, in terms of the fact that they they never really, I suppose they had a big hit, didn't they, in America? But in this yeah, country, they're completely unknown, though. Oh wow! Like, yeah, never. I don't think they ever had a charting single in this country. So there's lots of weird things like that, sort of anomalies that should have been big but weren't. Um, and I think, yeah, I don't know. Go betweens like that. I'm also a fan of the Triffids as well, in that kind of similar. Era Australian thing. <laughs> yeah, the um the church's cover of Wide Open Road was on my stereo a lot last year. I mean, that's just such a fantastic song in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the Saints as well. Weirdly, like, like I'm quite into. I think they were a great punk band. They were one of the earliest ones, weren't they? One of the yeah. kind of forerunners of, of all of it. I'm still, yeah. For some reason, I'm, I think it's this this thing we we're talking about earlier about bit exposed to sort of punk and new wave when I was really young and that's still part of my musical identity I think as well even though the lodger doesn't sound anything like that really I'm still I still like the energy of, of punk and those early punk singles and stuff I just think that that was a great moment in time um so yeah 1977 to 1980 is like a great little era of music I think. yeah yeah so let's talk about the new record um the artwork I really dug the circles. Yeah, yeah. I thought I'd do one of those sort of cheesy podcast things and show you the album sleeve there, and uh, you could just so that the listener the, is it is this? Do people watch this as well as listen to it, or is it? Yeah, I'll put it, it on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, after it goes up. Okay, yeah, so this is the hour. It. Yeah, it's a great sleeve. Um, it we kind of went through quite a few iterations. The, the guy that that I'm lucky enough to know someone who um it's called nick scott this guy um and he i knew him from i'll try i'll try to make the story short but in leeds and around yeah it's all right i just i just i I have a tendency to waffle slightly sometimes but um so in around 2004 when i got this lodger project together um leeds was quite a 
so there was quite a few things happening. There was there was the Kaiser Chiefs. I know that they're not an indie pop band in any way whatsoever, but they were forming. Um, and I knew the drummer as the songwriter and everything. I used to hang around with him a little bit. Um, and this guy, Nick Scott, that designed The Slave, he, he, they used to DJ in Leeds a lot together. Uh, there was also the Cribs hanging around as well. They're, they're local. Um, and loads of other bands that ended up doing, I don't know if you'll have heard of any of these bands. Do you remember Forward Russia? Do you remember that name? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're sort of totally different to my musical style. But those people forming those bands are all around at the same time as each other, going to the same places. I mean, Leeds is a fairly small place. So you, there's a, you know, if you went to an, in, in, an indie kind of night, it'd have lots of very disparate people that were all sort of into into indie music and putting gigs on and stuff. The Long Blondes as well, remember that band? Love them. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were, I put their first ever gig on. I'll use that to show off a little bit there. In fact, uh, um, but so I, I used to, I knew Dorian, the the songwriter guy, and Catherine, who's the bassist, she calls herself Reenie. But um, she, I knew those two from like the late 90s when when we were at university. So they were at Sheffield University and I was at Derby, which is quite near, and I used to hang around with them quite a bit. So I knew them before the Long Ones were formed and stuff. So anyway, they, they were part of the whole same thing. To cut a long story short, um, I'm still friends with Nick now, but he... The, the artwork guy. But since 2004, he's obviously gone on to, he's like a, a, a graphic designer who does loads of stuff, but he designs, he's done most of the Cribs album saves, I think. And he did, I can't remember what the album's called, but you know, one of the ride albums, that's like the comeback ones, that the quite recent ones. There's, there's one where someone's kind of going, doing a pose and it's like a silhouette. Yeah. Can't remember what that's called, but he did he did that design of that one as well. So he's kind of like a fairly sought after guy, but um, it's like uh, uh, I don't know. You sort of call on favors, don't you, from people you know from the past and stuff. And I haven't seen him in years, but we're still friends. And I just I always ask him to do the designs of stuff first, and if he's available, then he does it. So he was available, luckily. So we we sort of um, I don't know. We threw loads of ideas about and. I'm quite a big fan of the you know Barney Bubbles. Have you heard of that guy? The, the he did a lot of the um, '80s record sleeves. Like um, I, I, my records are all in a different room, so I can't pull it out and show you. But um, do you know, like, sort of, you know, "Get Happy" by Elvis Costello. I think he did that one. Where it's kind of like really bright and sort of like yeah, sort of teared out bits of paper and stuff, and very colourful. He did. Loads and loads of 1980s album and single sleeves. Look him up, Barney Bubbles. He, I think he killed himself, actually, funnily enough. But, yeah, he 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 was a depressive and stuff, but he was absolutely amazing. Um, but, yeah, he... Uh, yeah, he, he, I don't know. I, I sort of ripped in his style off a bit with it, or, or I wanted it to be like that a bit. Um, I mean, I don't know if it... What does it remind you of? Does it make you think of anything, or does it evoke anything to you? It's kind of not quite, but a bit new ordery. Yeah, uh, maybe that's maybe that came into it as well. I, I the I suppose that the the song "Stop That Girl" on the album is very new ordery and sort of. A, a, people said it sounds like electronic. You know that band that that Johnny yeah. Marr and Thingy were in. So I mean, Nick Nick's very the, the designer is a massive music fan, so he when I say something like that, he knows exactly what I'm talking about because he's. A, 
just as much of a geek about it as me. So you know, you know, if I say I'm thinking, I think I gave him a few sleeves actually. I gave him like four sleeves. I'm trying to remember what they were now. A can of bees by the Soft Boys was one of them. Mm-hmm. If you remember what that was, it looks nothing like that now. But that was one of my little thoughts. Um, the Todd Rungrum one. I don't know. I just see see things sometimes, and I know that I like. Is there a Monty Python sketch where he says, I don't know anything about art, but I know what I like? <laughs> so, reminds me of, that's a quote that John Cleese is in something. I can't remember what it is now. But anyway, I don't know anything about um, about graphic design, but I know slaves that I like. So I sort of just ramble nonsense to him and he just <laughs> decodes my thoughts and puts it into a piece of artwork. So I, I know that experience exactly. Yeah, I'm very much not a visual person as far as no. being able to put something together, but I can spout enough to like get to something that i quite like yeah yeah i think i'm so i'm trying to make this so it's not an angle um so yeah i i think i'm yeah i I, yeah i'm useless at drawing that's one of the things that i i'm I'm pretty good at obviously music is something that that i'm that i seem to be good at but i yeah visual art i'm absolutely terrible i can't even draw a a person, you know, like, like if I try to draw a stick man or something, it comes out as a stick man or a baby's drawing of a person. I'm just useless at it, and I find it fascinating that people can do it. To be honest with you, but I suppose some other people might find it fascinating that people can do music, and you know, so it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, I was talking about this a couple of podcasts ago with Steve Ayla, um talking about how you th- people think, like in a yes, in pictures or or words or sounds. Do yeah. You- do you know that about yourself? Like, do you? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I've not got the, the is it synesthesia or whatever it's called? Yeah, I, I, I don't have that. No, I, I don't know what, where it comes from, to be honest with you, but I, I don't know. I get melodies in my head and I, I'm quite, I write songs while I'm walking about actually as well, which is a bit of a weird thing. I'll sort of, I'll start a song and then I'll get it to a point where, think it's quite good and then i'll wander around a bit and then i'll be thinking oh well i need to i'm gonna i'm gonna use that drum beat and the drum beat will come or something will come to me while i'm wandering around i sort of develop this ability to songwrite while i'm doing something else (laughs) this is a bit strange i think i'm just so used to doing it i think it's what it's been my main interest most of my life to be honest with you so it's just always in my head music's always going on in my head all the time and not in a not in an anxious way, but it's just there. <laughs> so I, I definitely find that to be true. And other people I've talked to, like just going on a walk, you just full of creative ideas, just through the movement, and I guess sort of being away from. Yeah, I was going to try to get get through this uh, interview without mentioning bird watching because I'm a bit of a bird watcher, you see. But I I find that that's a good way of my brain is always going. I, I always. When I try to go to sleep at night, I'm always thinking of ridiculous things to do with the band and or to do with songs or idea crazy ideas that I'm gonna, you know, I don't know, like plotting various stuff while I'm trying to go to sleep. I think bird watching and nature is something I've found to be incredibly like good for sort of emptying your mind. Like I always do it without my phone as well. I so I'm a, I'm a complete addict of my phone, if I'm being perfectly honest, like most people. Yeah. Um, but I, I saw so I put my phone in a drawer or something. Like I have to put it away from me, and then I go wandering off, and I have no connection to life apart from 
trying to identify birds and stuff. So it's kind of, I don't know, it's just good for me. So if you get an idea, do you just keep singing it to yourself? The thing I like about the phone is that you can record it. Yes, is that sometimes, yeah, you're right. I think that I'd maybe just, um, I don't know, I, I, yeah, I, I try to just, when I go for walks, I try to get rid of that. I think I'm not, this is not music anymore. I'm not doing any music now. I've got to have a, I've got to have a break from it because as I say, it's in my head most of the time. So I've got to get away from it sometimes. So that's a good way of getting away from it. Um, but then again, I probably think of lyrics and things every now and again when I'm wandering around as well. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I like sometimes just switching off from it because... I think if I've got my phone there, I'm just always looking at it, even if I don't have to do it. I'm just reading. And I'm, I'm, I'm quite a, an info junkie as well, I suppose. I'm always reading about things and learning about things and, yeah, as well as constantly checking Spotify to see how many times my song's been played, all sorts of sad stuff like that. But um, <laughs> it's kind of the, mo- the modern musician is quite a strange thing. I don't know if you're going to ask me about that at, at any point, but. When I was doing it last time, 10 years ago, it's a very different environment to how being an indie musician now is totally different, I think. It's all about streaming and playlist curators and all sorts of nonsense. <laughs> it's kind of got a bit strange. Yeah, um, talk yeah. about that. I, I hadn't yeah, go on. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was just going to say that, like, yeah, it's weird. Like, when in the sort of, as you know, you were saying living in London in the late 2000s or whatever, there was lots of... You have like lots of, I don't know, what do you call them, webzines and things like that, and people writing early blogs and stuff. And um, he'd basically try to get people to review the album a bit and then maybe get a few radio plays and things like that. But I think these days it's all about trying to get, or it seems like, the, the not this is not me telling people how they should do it, but it seems like the way that people advise you to do it is get everyone to go to Spotify to listen to it and try to get the number. It's all that data. It's like the numbers of people listening and uh, things like that. And I am not really interested in that really, but it's like I'm, but then again, I'm also a bit of a control freak and I have to be in charge of everything as well. So I have to know about that stuff, but it's a bit of a, of a sad byproduct of the times, I think a little bit. Plus like the artist is obviously not making anything out of Spotify as well. So it's kind of a bit of a, bit of a false yeah i don't know what the word is but it's just a bit pointless really isn't it but it, it it's the thing is if i go if i go on twitter or something and say hey everybody this is the album it's, it's and it's on Bandcamp, and here you go a lot of people will listen to it but a lot of people won't bother because it's not on spotify or something because it's not immediate enough you know what i mean mm. it's not kind of just there and it's not consumable enough straight away and it has to be there on spotify so that's been a bit of a weird thing. I've tried to get it on a few playlists, and I've got it on loads of playlists, but it just seems a bit weird that that seems to be. I mean, you may may know this, but apparently, more people now listen to playlists than albums. Certainly in the UK, like people, teenagers don't know what an album is practically these days. <laughs> you know, as I teach a lot of kids guitar and stuff, and I really like talking to them about um, their perception of music now because I've got no idea really about how they how a teenager sees music like I was a teenager when Britpop was happening and stuff like that. So they yeah they haven't got a clue what an album 
is really. They also don't have a clue about chronology of anything, I think, as well. Like they don't know. They think that The Cure came out at the same time as The Beatles or something. You know what I mean? But Spotify is just the a past. mixture of, like, it's a mixture of, like, this is your cool alternative playlist or something. It, it's like, it, it's got a cure on it, but then it's got like Arctic monkeys on it. They don't know which, which is which and where they came from. My Believe Valentine could have been now or 1963. <laughs> oh yeah. You were talking about like your uncle introducing you to stuff like mm. with streaming. I just don't, there's, it just seems so much less of a thing. Cause like when you had the physical product you flip through, it was like this whole yeah. magical world that had other things intriguing you besides just yeah. the sounds themselves. You were looking at, you know, cover art and like, you know, I mean, it was, it was, it was, there was nothing sort of homogenous about it as well. Like it was all sort of, I don't know, you'd have like people into really weird random stuff at school. Like there'd be someone who liked, I don't know, I can't really think of an example, but I know what I mean in my head, but it's quite hard to explain. Like it seems like, you know, something goes viral. Like there was like Life Without Buildings went viral, didn't it, the other day, you know, the, on TikTok and stuff. That was so, blowing. Yeah, it's weird. Like, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm, not decrying, I'm not decrying that at all. I think that's really good. But it, that means that loads of kids like Life Without Buildings all of a sudden, or for, for a brief moment. But you'd have like one weirdo like that at school who found out about it through some, some other weird means. And then you'd have someone else who liked like the carpenters or something weird like that because they'd found out about it through the grandma or something. But it's... It, Things were a bit more esoteric than I think, a bit more random. Hmm. We're gonna we're gonna sound like a couple of old gits, I think. I, <laughs> I think it's the way that it is, though, isn't it? It's a bit. It just seems. It seems like there's not there's not as much individuality anymore. I think maybe. That was wild about that life without building. I love that song. Yeah. It's so unique and wonderful. But like you know, I don't. 10 years ago, I didn't know anybody who really knew it, you know? No, I'd forgotten about them. I remember that song, The Lean Over, when it came out um, vaguely, but I'd sort of forgotten about it. I remember it was very, very weird when it came out, actually. It's very weird now, but it's sort of, yeah. And people, I haven't watched the TikTok things, but I've read that it's like lots of teenagers kind of miming to to her sort of, whatever she says in the song, I can't remember the lyrics, but the miming to do something like that and sort of being all, sort of emotional about it. <laughs> I don't really know what it is, but something strange is going on. But yeah, I don't have any children myself to sort of see that firsthand, but it just, but I do obviously teach a lot of kids. So I know the other thing is that indie pop's a bit of a weird one these days as well. I think that pe- some people describe like Billie Eilish as indie pop, don't they? And stuff. So it's, it's sort of, you don't really know what that means anymore either. It's all a bit weird. Yeah. So. <laughs> It is nice when things like Life Without Buildings happens, isn't it? It's nice that that I bet that that band feel quite. It must be very strange for that to be dredged up from history by a load of TikTokers. Yeah, yeah it's sort of nice for it to happen. Which you literally never could have imagined when the song. No, was it's completely unpredictable, isn't it? I suppose that's quite a cool thing about the modern life that you and things like that that you never quite know what's going to go viral. It seems it's a bit random. It can be like. I don't know. It can be something completely unexpected that goes viral, which makes it a bit more exciting, I suppose, mm. than, than less predictable. But I don't know. 
I probably just don't understand kids these days. I don't understand what's going through their heads. Um, yeah. yeah. I think I'm probably a bit too attached to like growing up with albums that you'd, you know, yeah. take as a thing, like as a whole. That you'd, you know, yeah, you'd find out loads of other things through that, wouldn't you, as well? Like you, if you heard, like if you bought a Suede album or something, you'd hear about David Bowie and things like that, and then you'd be on a massive journey of loads of other things that <laughs> David Bowie was influenced by, Velvet Underground. You could go from Suede to Velvet Underground in, like, two steps, couldn't you, from Bowie to them or something. It's, it's I don't know. I suppose that's like Spotify, though, isn't it, in a way, because they can just go from one artist to another. But I don't yeah. know. Algorithms <laughs> in charge now, aren't they, rather than people? You're cutting out a very interesting journey by just having it be the next song on the playlist. Yeah, I suppose that's the thing. You, 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 you've, you, it's not quite as simple as just going from one to the next, is it? You get a load of other art around that as well that's interesting, like books and sort of poetry or whatever. Or yeah. The, the, a lot of people like David Bowie he's, was a musical magpie, wasn't he? He, had, he? he basically just stole the good bits of things that he heard and fashioned them in his own way. I did my dissertation about David Bowie, actually. Really? I did, yeah, I did, a, I did a music degree, but I sort of allowed you to do things like that. So you, I did a, we did like modules on like the sociology of music and stuff. So I blagged my way into being able to do a, a 10,000 word essay on, on David Bowie, which is quite good. It was basically a, about like, I, th- I tried to argue that every or most little stages of his career sort of influenced a subgenre of its own. Like so, like you know, it, the glam stuff influenced what Suede or something, and then the mid eight mid seventies like soul stuff influenced maybe things even like Simply Red or something like sort of sophisticated soul pop of the eighties and whatever. But yeah, I sort of yeah. So I. I and then, yeah, like uh, the Berlin nice. stuff would be the post-punk. Well, say that again, sorry. The Berlin albums influence on punk. Yes, exactly. That'd be like Joy Division and yeah. things like that, wouldn't it, as well, yeah. And, and like the synth-pop, um, OMD and things like that, I suppose, yeah. Human League and stuff. I was going to ask you about the Velvet Underground, because um, the third song, Wasting My Time With You, sandwiched between dual lives and uh, I'm Over This, which are both quite disco-y. Um, yeah. Wasting my time with you seemed at least the intro seemed very Velvet Underground, as well as uh, bits of former life reminded me of them as well. Oh, uh, right, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I love Velvet Underground and I love Lou Reed and stuff. Um, I think that one was a bit of a more of a spiritualized ripoff, to be honest. <laughs> when I say ripoff, I'm, I'm being a bit flippant, but I basically I think that a lot of those early the Spacemen 3 and Spiritualized have got like. I don't know whether they, I think they used to tape one key down on the Farfisa organ. So, like, yeah. they have a far, you know, the Farfisa organ was used in the 60s, wasn't it? Stuff like um, 96 Tears and stuff, hmm. the sort of Gary Drock stuff. And then in the late 70s, bands like Madness and stuff used them, like in specials and stuff, the, the sort of tinny, tin, uh, tinny keyboard on that. So, anyway, I haven't got a Farfisa, but I've got like software that emulates that sort of sound. So I thought that I'd go for that sort of spiritualized thing where I think he used to, used to find the key of the song, like if it was in G or something, he'd just find the key G and then put some gaffer tape on that key and it just goes through the song. It's just like the note. So I sort of thought I'll write a song based around that. And I also, I mean, the, the chords are just, there's three chords in the whole song and they're just like, I don't know if you're a music theory person, but they call them one, four, five in music. They're just like... Yeah. 
think the song's in G, I think. So it's G, C, D. So it's just three simple major chords. Most um, Velvet Underground songs are just that, really. Like, I think Lou Reed was total sort of... Didn't he say that, like, two chords... Like anything more than two chords is jazz, basically. You know, two, two chords is the ideal, three chords is jazz, and then from that from then onwards. So I think I was trying to just make it really minimalist. But you're right, I think it's a bit like that Edwin Collins thing again. I think I it's sort of spiritualized, but back into sort of velvet underground through that way, maybe. Okay, I can totally see yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I magnetic feels weirdly a bit of an influence on that one, I think, as well, because a lot of his songs are really simple and then they have a few chords in them. And, and I don't know, there's one, there's a song called Three Way Off Distortion by Magnetic Field. First song on Distortion. I think I was, I think I thought of that a bit when I was doing it. I, I, I tend to, when I'm, the thing is, when I write a song, I don't listen to other artists at all. So I'm not consciously ripping things off when I'm writing. But then when I start producing things, I start thinking, well, I like the sound of that spiritualized song, so I'm going to take the Farfisa sound off that, but I'm not going to steal the melody or the chords of it. I'm just taking the sound, um, or I'm being influenced by the sound of it because I think production is another layer that I could talk to you about for hours. But it, it, that it's not just about the songs and the melodies; it's more about the sounds. I think that sometimes re- you, you take from other things, and then that reminds listeners like yourself that of a certain song. I was yeah. going to ask you, um, uh, my poor mind was it a, yeah. that a conscious nod to New Order with that line? Uh, oh, I seem to have forgotten. Oh no, no, it's not actually. That's a random. That's just a a coincidence, but it may have been in my head. That one is more of a bit of a country, yeah, sort of thing. I mean, that's a bit of a Triffids uh, one there as well, because there's a song on. Um, let me think. I can't remember what album it's from. And I can't even remember what the song called, actually. There's a song on the Triffids album where it sounds like the... I think it's on In The Pines, the album In The Pines. And it's it's recorded really... Um, I think it, I think that's the album where it says on the back of it what they spent the money on, the record company advances, and it says, like, petrol, beer equals... You know, it says the figure that it cost, and they, they recorded it in a barn or something, I think. Anyway, there's a song on there, I can't remember the title of it, but you can hear like all their friends sort of whooping and clapping at the beginning of it and sort of go, wah, wah, over the top of the song. And I wanted that kind of feel to it where it sort of sounds like it could have just been someone just performing in a in a barn or something and someone just presses record or whatever. But it was this sounds a bit like I'm making this up for comedy effect, but I couldn't have anybody whooping because we weren't allowed to be close to anybody when I was making it because it was COVID so it was a solitary affair but I wanted it to sound like loads of people were like sort of enjoying it like it was a live performance but I didn't get around to doing that in the end so I <laughs> ran out of time but yeah so it's kind of I wanted it to sound spontaneous the 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 um lap steel guitar on that is from um my friend who lives in Berlin actually he just recorded it for me and just emailed it to me so never actually met him in person but he put all the lap steel on it's a a guy that played it's a guy called tim that plays guitar with us live sometimes but he lives in berlin so he did the the lap steel guitar on that but yeah it's it's a country influenced one one. but yeah no no new order influence as far as i can remember but i mean i yeah could have could have accidentally ripped that one off i don't know the line seemed to me like the melody and the maybe i've forgotten from regret 
Oh my god, yeah, you're right, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember. Didn't do that consciously, but I mean, someone pointed out to me the other day that, um, like, I'm really into the song. One of my favorite songs is Different Drum. You know, song yeah. Different, yeah, and that's probably, you know, it's up there with my top five best songs ever written kind of thing if I was to do that. But um, the song No, No, No that's on the album, if you know that one, I think it's like, it's on the second half of the new album. That one, someone said, is that, were you listening to different drum? And I mean, I've been listening to different drum for about 20 years or something. It's probably got into my songwriting. But if I listen to it, it's pretty much a, a pastiche of, of that song, really. It's got the same chord progression, I think, just about. I had it noticed um, that I love that song. I'll to, yeah. I've just done an interview for somebody else uh, to this afternoon, like a, a an online interview, this Italian website. And it was like I had to make a mixtape thing. And uh, I put that song on it. I said, that I could have put any version of it at all, really, because it's like the Lemonheads one, isn't there? And yep. I did the version I went for was the Susanna Hobson Matthew Sweet one for some reason. I just, ah, I really like her voice on it. I think, especially as she's like a lot older, her voice has got very husky, and uh, I think it just sounds really good. And and it's very sort of power pop kind of sounds to Matthew Sweet or whatever. But um, but I love that. I mean, I love the way that Mike Nesmith wrote it, and he wasn't allowed to use it for the. For the monkeys because he wasn't allowed to use any of his own songs yeah that's so crazy <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's bonkers that, yeah someone who someone who was in a manufactured band that were known for not writing their own songs wrote one of the best songs ever written which is a bit of a weird one do you know the pete burns version from dead or alive no i don't actually it's, is that later in his uh, in his lifetime I think it was late 80s. It was after, you know, the hits, but he yeah. did, it might have been in the 90s, probably not thinking of it, because he did a cassette only. And I tracked this down online last year um, of just torch song piano ballads and oh, right. different drummers on. I'll, I'll send it to you. It's, it's yeah, fantastic. send me. It's, yeah, interesting that. That sounds good, that. Um, he did like a solo tour and he actually played like a goth dance club in Boston. I didn't get to go, but friends of mine did. And he had this cassette for sale, which is now like, hundred and ten dollars on discog so all oh, right it's like luckily the, you know yeah is it one of those ones that's not on, not on streaming services yeah no it was very yeah. limited edition cassette only yeah i mean i i, 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 I don't know i mean i like you spin me around it's a good record but i think he's an he was an interesting character as well he's, he's just one of those like very sort of outspoken unique people wasn't he he's was a bit of a one-off but but yeah that sounds interesting it's I think it's, as I said in this interview I did this afternoon, it's one of those songs that's impossible to get wrong, I think. Like if, you, if you cover it, you just can't get it wrong, but it's just so simple and direct and just, I don't know, it's just universal. It, it, you could make it as a synth song or you could make it as whatever you wanted to. Paul Westerberg was doing a version live. I tracked down some songs right. with him, which yeah, I love the replacements. I love that song. I was like, that's perfect. Yeah. All right, cool. I'm, yeah, pretty much everyone's done it, haven't they? Um who else has done it? Are you going to do a version? Uh, maybe. I mean, some might argue I've already just done a version on, on the album by by copying it. But um, yeah, I I think it's got. I think the lyrics are what gets me about it. I think they just sometimes. I don't know. It's just a perfect mix of lyrics and tune, really, and chords. I don't know. It's just a really good song. I think I would. So when I was picking these songs, these songs for this mixtape, I think that. I picked Only You by Yazoo as well. You know that song. And I think that that is also perfect as well. That's my other kind of go-to kind of 
in uh, it's beyond criticism. <laughs> Another one with an interesting history that you know he brought that to Depeche Mode and they kind of laughed at it. Oh yeah, I, later, I read right? the other, yeah you're right, and I read the other day that he or recently that thing he didn't like it either. Um, what's he called? Daniel Miller, the Mute Records person. Oh, he, wow. he wasn't into, he wasn't into it either, and then. Um, because when he, when he left Depeche Mode, he, he formed Yazoo and recorded the Alison Moyet version of everything, like a demo of it. Gave it to Daniel Miller, and Daniel Miller said, "Yeah, it's all right," kind of thing. And he what? And he didn't really like it very much. And then I think somebody from the record label, like the American record label, were like, "Are you are you crazy? This is like a massive hit." So he he went with it in the end. But I just think that's a really simple direct kind of that could be played on acoustic guitar by anybody and just sound amazing as well classic pop single so if you did do a top five what else would be on it (laughs) god yeah um yeah uh what else did i pick on this thing today when you have an album out you get chance to indulge these uh these things a lot because people ask you a lot about questions like this I've been thinking about it a bit. Um, let me just get my phone because I'll, I'll, sometimes I can't quite remember things. Um, let me have a look at what what I've been thinking about. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, the other one that I always think about is They Don't Know by Kirsty McCall. Do you know that song? No. Not sure. I, I know I've heard it, but I, I I think you'll know it when you hear it. It's quite a fairly famous one. It so on this mixtape, I put on a song called Caroline by Kirsty McCall. It's a bit more obscure, but but it's a really good song. Um, Kirsty McCall's really known for Fairy Tale of New York, isn't she? And stuff. And I think because that's always comes back every year, Christmas song. But I think she's a bit underrated as a songwriter. Really, there's lots of really good songs that are like. They don't know. She wrote it when she was about 18 or something like that. Um, and it sort of sounds like a 60s girl group kind of song. It, it, it sounds like it could have been a, a Ronette song or something like that. But it was released in 1979, I think. It's Stiff Records. It's like a late 70s sort of new wavy kind of song. Tracy Ullman covered it and had a hit with it oh, in the okay. 80s. It's sort of a bit more of a kind of like silly kind of very kitsch version of it. But it, but the original song um, is a really great song. That's one of my favourite songs, I think. They don't know, Kristen Paul. Um, the Kiss by Judy Sill. Oh. You know that song? I absolutely love that song as well. Um, that was amazing. <laughs> yeah. I That's a fairly late discovery in my life, I think. I Me too. I only heard that about 10 years ago, something like that. Um, but that... I mean, it sounds very pretentious. You won't get many indie pop people saying this, I don't think, but I, one of my favourite pieces of music is Prelude in C Major by Bach. I think that is absolutely just perfect. And I think that the Judy Sill song is a bit Bach-esque as well as it's on the piano and there's lots of kind of... She plays all these chords that have kind of... It's, it's hard to explain without going to music theory, but she's using a lot of what you call slash chords where you, you know, like if you play a G on the guitar, it's just a G, but if you make the bass note of the chord a different note, so you like have a D, a low D, or the bass player plays a D, guitarist plays a G, you get like a like a weird sort of suspended sound from the chords. 
there's loads of that in that song, The Kiss. So it's kind of, and Bach did that. I mean, he basically invented that kind of counterpoint thing in music. So it's quite Bach-esque for a pop song and and, uh, and sort of Baroque, I suppose, whatever you want to call it. But I, I just, and also I think with her life and everything adds to the, adds some gravitas to it as well, doesn't it? Because oh, she was yeah. such a, such a crazy character who had such a weird life. So, yeah, and she's well, another person that's underrated as well, isn't she? Really, I suppose she's been a bit more discovered in later years, but she she was a bit underrated at the time, wasn't she? Like Nick Drake kind of character. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I I, I love that song. Um. That sort of, I don't know. I get I say this to people sometimes. I'm one of those people that gets tingles far too much. You know, when you hear a song, you get ting, you sort of yeah. get shivers down your spine. I get that all the time <laughs> like when I'm listening to music and when I'm writing my own songs and stuff I don't know if it's some sort of affliction that I've got but <laughs> that I get that that goose pimple sensation when I hear that song but I get it when I hear quite a lot of music it's it's music moves me quite a, quite a lot I think maybe more than the average person I'm not really sure maybe I'm exaggerating I don't really know I think I'm kind of the same way I, I tend to when I talk about that it seems to be more often than uh yeah, most people do. Yeah, yeah, it's a weird one. I think if you if you're writing a song and you get that feeling, you obviously know that it's quite a decent song. Yeah. So if it's doing something to you as a person, it probably might do it to somebody else. I don't know. Um, yep. But yeah, Judy Kiss the Sill. I'm trying. Uh, Judy Sill <laughs> the Kiss. Even the wrong way around. Um, what else? Um, God, I mean, there's so much. I'm, I, there's so yeah. many songs, isn't there, out there? I, Another Girl, Another Planet. I mean, that's pretty much perfect, isn't it, as a pop song? Um, that's got, I don't, you know, as, as a general rule, I'm not a massive fan of guitar solos, but that's got a really good guitar solo in it. I sometimes I like Marquee Moon as as well. I think sometimes you get away with it somehow, having a very complicated guitar solo. Somehow, some people just get away with it, and a lot of people don't. But, yeah. Do you know the song Punk Rock Girl by the Dead Milkman? By the who, sorry? The Dead Milkman. They're a band from Philadelphia. This uh, was a hit. Yeah, I've heard of that band. Are they kind of like an American punk band? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think I know that song, no. What, what, okay. what about that? I, I love that song. And it was a hit, in this, or a minor hit in the States in the late 80s. Yeah. It had a guitar solo that, I mean, he was, dumb, he was a guitar player, but it sounds like he doesn't really know how to play guitar. Or it's not your... It sounds like he doesn't really know how to play guitar solo, but what he comes up with is just, I think, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. That's you've hit on something that that I think is really important though as well, which is, as you know, as, as I say, I teach music and stuff to people. I think that sometimes I'm wary of, like, I've got a, a, a pupil at the moment who's like a girl who's about fourteen or something. She writes songs, and she started writing her own songs. I'm sort of helping her with it. But I don't. I don't want to tell her how to write songs. I think that's just such a weird thing to do. Like, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to go, well, no, I think you should uh, put an A minor seven chord there or something instead of an A, like, or something. I just think, I think that you've got to encourage people. And I think the more that people cock up of their own making, then they'll find what they're trying to do eventually, the, the more mistakes they make. But I think telling someone how to write is a bad idea. I don't think it really works. I think uh, learning music theory young kind of screwed me up in that aspect because, um, yeah. you know, if you're in the key of C, if you play a C chord, you know, if you're writing a pop song, you you would go to F or A minor yeah. or G. Like yeah. when I realized you can go to a B flat 
and then you're out, you're yeah. shifting the key or those like you know it opened up my mind but i had this like sort of rigid way of thinking when I had- yeah yeah i've got to be very careful basically when i teach people i can sort of it depends what sort of music they're into i suppose as well if, if someone's like really into blues rock or something and i don't really mind teaching them the the music theory stuff because that's it applies to it but yeah. if i'm trying to inspire some creativity in a young person who wants to write the songs I, I would never tell them how to do it because i think that's just a bad idea i think it's it's better to let them work it out themselves but just encourage the process and keep you know say say positive things about it but not tell them what to do so yeah i think yeah you're right i think well sorry my point was about that so the reason i said that was but i think that that an unschooled way of being is is a good way to be like if you, if you i think stuff like like i'm a big fan of xtc as well that's one of my favorite bands and i know for a fact that like Andy Partridge doesn't really know very much music theory. So like all those songs, he'd like put his hand on the guitar in a weird play, in a weird formation, and then just sort of play the chord and see what it sounded like, and then write the song around that. He wouldn't know what the chord was called. And I think that stuff like that can sometimes help. Um, Joni Mitchell, I think, is a good one as well. She used to tune a guitar into just a weird tuning and then put a finger on a on a fret and play something. And, she'd end up with some chord that no one's ever played before because it's just unconventional. So, like, if you don't know what you're doing, then sometimes you come out with really good stuff. Yeah. But, and if you do know what you're doing, you end up coming out with very wanky stuff sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you sort of, um, yeah, you, you end up... I mean, I mean, a lot of the people I went to music college with just went straight into jazz music and just went down a hole but I mean I like jazz, I like jazz now I've got into it but not I like Miles Davis and that sort of 19 late 50s kind of jazz stuff and John Coltrane and Miles Davis and stuff but you can kind of go down very dangerous roads if you're not careful as a musician with that stuff you can end up just being into like weather report or something like you know <laughs> so it's, it's very very dangerous territory so I've managed to escape that nice a couple more songs off the album I want to ask you about. Yes, before. one. Um, Black and White, the first one. Yeah. You want to? What struck around. me about that was if yeah. we pretend we're in a film, we'll always be all right. But wasn't the film of The Lodger about Jack the Ripper? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's the. Is that the, the Alfred Hitchcock one? This is the, the the. I think that's where I got the name. But I kind of got the name because I was living in the bed sitting. It sort of fitted the Lodger kind of character. That's sort of how I did it, oh. but. I remember I was also flicking through like the TV guide and I was looking for names there and I saw that that film was on, on film four or some channel or something. I saw it was on there and I thought that sort of fits with what I'm trying to do as well. But yeah, no, I think what I'm getting at there is like a film, like um, a romantic film, maybe, you know, something where there's no consequences to, or there's a very nice and neatly tied up, romantic ending to the story rather than it being what real life's like where things invariably go to shit <laughs> for a lot of people you know, trying to make it sort of have a Hollywood ending to it so like um, I suppose when I was a teenager I was really into like I feel I feel really bad about even saying I was a Woody Allen fan now it seems like such a you know it seems like a bad thing to say these days but I was into like Annie Hall and things like that and when I was younger and um I suppose like r- films that have got like romantic 
realistic romantic kind of stories in them and stuff. And I suppose it's a bit about that. I used to, I'm thinking about being a teenager a bit, I suppose, in the lyrics as well. A lot of my songwriting is sort of about that feeling of first love when you're about 16, 17 or whatever. I sort of keep going back to that for some reason. Well, pop is a very, you know, the spirit of pop is of that age. Yeah, it is. You're right. Um, I mean, I think, I always think that if someone hadn't have been dumped, then most good songs wouldn't have been written. Was that his that's kind of (laughs) so it yeah I think I was and Gregory's Girl I love that film have you seen that film before Gregory's Girl it's it's yeah coming of age kind of Scottish film of the early 80s late 70s early 80s and I I think that that's got a perfect sort of summary of what it's like to fall in love when you're a teenager maybe I was thinking of that a little bit as well sort of just um that sort of innocence of first love, whatever. And I don't know, pretend you're in a film as well. It's like nothing ever goes wrong in certain films, does it? So it's sort of pretend you're in the inconsequential utopian version of life. Whatever. Perfect Fit is also a very sweet love song. Yeah, that one, weirdly, that both of those songs are quite old. Um, I don't know why. I think I was romantically thinking that maybe one day I'd have a massive hit single or something. I was like keeping those to one side of it. Um, but, yeah, I I wrote that one in about 2006, I think, that song. I just didn't record it. I don't know why. Um, yeah, that one, I don't, yeah, you're right. That's quite like that as well, isn't it? I don't know. Maybe because when, in 2006 I was closer to my teenage years then, so I was probably thinking more about that stuff. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Perfect. I think the parents will stay together thing. There's a lyric in that which says our parents will stay together. I think that's because my parents broke up. I don't want to go in a, in a big in a big sort of a sob story thing, but I think um, that affects you a bit as a person and as in relationships and stuff. And I think I've, I've had relationships with other people that have been affected by their parents breaking up and stuff. There's a bit of that in there somewhere. I'm sort of trying to trying to sort of. Sh- a shout out for those children of broken marriages. <laughs> I don't know, it's weird. God knows. God knows what I was thinking, but a bit of that going on. But yeah, it's it, and I think that it's yeah, it's got a catchy chorus. I think in that in those days I always used to write songs in a quite a uniform way where the chorus had to be really catchy or tried to make it really catchy and very sing-along sort of thing. So that's one of those. And black and white's from the same era as well. I wrote that in about 2005 or six or something. Okay. Just never recorded it. I don't know. I just always wanted to save it for a bit for some reason. But I've just thought, well, God, I don't know if the Lodger are ever going to do anything else. So I might as well get it out there now on this album. So I think we are going to do something else now, actually. So. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do an EP, I think, next week. We've got quite a few songs on the go, with that, but not enough for an album. I just I want to get some stuff out quick now because I sort of feel like it's wasted a bit of time and I want to just get on with it now. <laughs> so... Yeah. These are stuff that came from the 40 songs you had, or have you been writing? Uh, no, I think these are going to be new ones. I've written one song uh, that is definitely going to be on it since all this has happened. Uh, I feel like this song, this new album is a bit old already because we finished it nearly a year ago, but it took actually ages to come out because boring kind of admin things of trying to figure out exactly which labels were going to release it. Was, it's, I don't know if you spotted, but it's released by four labels at once. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird thing. I 
the first album, Grown Ups, was really was ended up being licensed to like I think it was seven or eight labels or something. I just thought, well, why don't I try to get them all to put it out this one out at once so that they're all sharing the money and everything, so that one person isn't having to fork out loads and loads of money for pressing. So four different people in different parts of the world share the costs and sort of share the resources and all that stuff. So I thought it'd be quite a novel idea to try to get not just a co-release, but like a four-person co-release. So yeah, <laughs> a bit complicated, but yeah. Cool. So there's an EP coming at least. There's an EP coming one day. I think I'm hoping to get it out by maybe about September or something like that. Um, maybe it's, because you've got to think of it in this new world of like having a song. People just release songs, don't they now? They don't release, release all this digital stuff. They just have one song and then they'll have another song. I think I might do that. I might sort of trickle out a few songs over the next few months just to sort of keep people interested a bit because it's hard enough when you disappear for 10 years to get people interested in it again. So I don't want to have to try to drum up uh, support again. So we'll see. It seems to have gone down pretty well, this album, though. Quite, it's quite heartening how people remember it. People remember it from 10 years ago. I'm quite surprised at that, really. There's a lot of, sometimes people are embarrassed of things are like 10 years ago. You find that, like, like when I was, a, if I was, I mean, I bought a lot of very ropey kind of Britpop singles when I was a teenager that I wouldn't want to listen to now. So it's quite nice that people still think it's cool enough to listen to now, or some people do. Nice. Uh, cool. Well, thanks very yeah. much for coming on the show. Yeah, I've had a really good time. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. All right. Hope you enjoyed that. The Lodger's new album is called Cul-de-Sac of Love. Check it out. Always appreciate it if you want to subscribe to this show or share the episode or leaving a review is always awesome. And check out some of the stuff up at youngsouthpaw.com. I didn't mention this in the beginning, but I've been getting lots of nice comments about my Nick Cave's Bar memoir, which I'm psyched. Some really cool shops are stocking it now. You can find the list of those up at augstone.com, A-U-G-S-T-O-N-E. And any good shop should be able to order it for you if you want. Plus, you know, it's available at all the online places. Thanks for listening. I'm going to play you out now with the first track from the new Lodger album. This is called Black and White. I'll never-